0: Hello, my name is Connor and I'm Jason and you are listening to the Amaze and Perplexed podcast.
1: For those that do follow along pretty regularly, you know we haven't released an episode um, in a, in a couple weeks, I think. In a bit, in a is minute the, is the yeah. technical term. There we go. So in that bit, uh, I I learned that my wife's mom, who lives near us, uh, has cancer, and so we were down in Houston last week, and then we've got some stuff coming up in October. My whole point in telling you this, number one, I'd appreciate your prayers. Her name is Teresa, so if you'd be praying with us about that. Uh, And then two, I will be, my schedule somewhat unpredictable um, over the next couple months, and so that will affect how we release this, and that's obvious. But anyway, just want to let you know that's happening. Now, last time we talked, um, we talked, uh, we're we're in Luke 4 today, and we're in Luke 4 then, and and what we covered then was the uh, rejection of Jesus by his hometown. (laughs) And so in Luke, if you go to chapter 4, uh, moving from thirty to thirty-one, it's it, the segue is then he went down to Capernaum, and then you have this kind of presentation that in, in all of the in the synoptic gospels you have this kind of here's some of the stuff he's doing on a daily basis, and so we're going to track through this. Uh, but I am curious, uh, Connor. You know, one of our focuses, uh, in in addition to what amazes us and perplexes us, is this idea of trying to see the whole story, giving everybody in the story dignity. Uh, what might they be experiencing? So can we, so we can gain maybe some more nuance
0: from the interaction. Sure. So we're going to be talking about a interaction in which Jesus casts a demon out of a man, and this is one of those things. Maybe in the 21st century, it's it's really hard for us to, you know, anytime I come upon a a, a reading or um, somebody talking about a demon being cast out, there's kind of this tendency to, to I don't know, maybe and maybe this is just all in my brain, a tendency to to um, just kind of glide past um like demon possession. Uh and then sometimes people get really graphic with it. Sometimes they don't. I don't know. But I, I for myself just need to stop for a moment and think about okay, what what is this like? Like I can get my head wrapped around somebody who um somebody who's lame or is blind. I can I can maybe put myself in the headspace of uh, man, what is that like? You know, what would it be like to go about my day blind and begging? Um, But man, this is a really hard one to think about and a really hard one to get in the space Um, that this man would be in such desperate need. And so, yeah, I, I maybe the way I'm going to give dignity here is simply by saying this is an incredibly hard place to put myself, which means that I maybe am not fully appreciating the full depths of the suffering that this person is uh, is. Is, is feeling or is going through. Uh, and so, again, it'd be so easy to just, oh, Jesus, casting out a spirit. That's really cool. But the, the massive ramifications for this man, for this family, for this community uh, just have to be staggering. Yeah, I think that's a great observation. I, I imagine
1: that most people listening, and I certainly relate to this, there will be times in my life where my, my thoughts will just be so incoherent. And I'll feel really overwhelmed. Maybe it's a specific situation or just general. It's I don't know what's bugging me, but it bugs me. And I've had issues with panic, and I've had issues with you know deep anxiety. And so I can relate to the idea of what what are all these unwanted thoughts coming from? You know, I've had conversations with people about what are the unwanted thoughts that come up for you that are always there? You know, and that's not demon possession. I don't think. Although mm-hmm. to be fair, we need to acknowledge. How would I know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, uh, Jesus is very convicted. There were demons. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think we have a right to think there aren't demons. I I think the devil's crafty, and I think demon possession today would actually work against his point. You know, because it yeah. serves him in our culture to not be recognized.
0: Well, and it's hard to know what what can possession be like now, and what can it what 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 way, if the devil is always you know like crafting, how can he manipulate it? How could it be different? Could possession simply be the voice of lies repeatedly over and over and over again in your mind, and you go, oh, wow, okay, maybe that's a lot more common than maybe I previously conceived of, right, exactly right. and so it
1: it may be that demon possession is my panic attack on heavy steroids, you know <laughs> i I don't know that, and that's the point. I don't know. The thing I do know, and this is just reinforcing what you've said. Man, imagine your first waking thought every morning included another voice that you did not want there. Yeah, and it and that other voice knows stuff you don't know. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Because that that would be just crazy time, you know. And mm-hmm. sometimes the voice is speaking out of your mouth, and sometimes you're speaking, but nobody around you could know. You know, yeah. where's that coming from? Well,
0: and and we have we we know speci- we know some specific people that. I, like I've watched some specific people go along this journey of slowly um of slowly maybe succumbing to those succumbing to those voices and it is utterly heartbreaking and it is so destructive to not just them but everybody around them um as these false voices uh you know are speaking these things into their mind and so like again whether that would be demonic or not adding on top of that uh being demonically possessed I just I can't even fathom how um how destructive it was to him in that community. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So I'm going to jump in there and and set this up. I, I, I do just want to make this point. Jesus has called his disciples. Now, he hasn't officially chosen them yet. That's coming in a couple chapters uh, for Luke. But so it's very interesting. Uh, you know, we we were talking. We're totally focused on this demon possessed man. We've mentioned a little bit of the culture. We don't know if the disciples are there, but that's just a whole another caveat. Can you imagine signing on to this guy? Mm-hmm. And he's now talking to a, a known demon possessed man, and it's like, oh, Jesus, calm down. That's a, that's a dead end right there. Don't be messing with this, you know. And yeah. so keep in mind, the disciples did not know Jesus could heal a demon possessed man up mm-hmm. until the moment he was healed. And so I just think of that risk and how that relates. It's not the main point here necessarily, but just that risk as it relates to. That's good. As I'm watching for Jesus to do something in my life, I don't know what he can do until it's done you know, fully. So beginning there in verse um, 30, 31, it says, Then he, speaking of Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives order to impure spirits, and they come out, and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So I do want to remind anyone listening. Uh, that what we're encouraging you to do is read uh, read the Bible. Number one, number two. One way to keep it new is to ask yourself what amazes and perplexes us, and that's what all we're doing. We haven't mm-hmm. structured this. We're not we're not scripted. Uh, we're just simply responding to that prompt of okay. As you look at this interaction, what amazes you? What perplexes you? So, Connor, what amazes you?
0: Yeah. So it's been a bit since we last recorded our our last episode, um, but I know we touched upon how Jesus must have felt being chased out of his hometown and so completely, utterly rejected. And so it is quite amazing to me that Jesus just seems to uh, jump right back. Uh, I don't know. I, I was about to say on the horse. Is that is that a metaphor? Is I don't know. This, get but right back up get, get, yeah, that's, that's right. It, that's that's, it, yeah. There it is. There it is. But yeah, Jesus, you would think, and again, like he miraculously escapes from being killed and being stoned. Jesus, he, he miraculously escapes like, death, but still, there would be the pain, there would still be the the frustration, there would be the, man, I was rejected by the people I grew up with, and the way it happened was I went to the synagogue and I taught, and, like, I, you know, for me, or any, most people I know would be like, well, maybe let's try a second approach, or let's try some other things, but the fact that Jesus just seems to, one, just get back, wait, get back in the saddle, We right? There we go. There you go. Uh, and not just go and, like, keep moving his ministry forward, but go about it in the same sort of way. Um It gets, you know, you just talked about, like, the disciples don't know that Jesus can do something until he does it. You would go, like, the way humans work is we're always looking for patterns. And we go, well, that didn't work. So now we know, let's ad- completely right. adjust. Let's completely readjust. And so, like, again, the people of jesus hometown were amazed until he you know transitioned into into what he had to say in this kind of second part of of what he was talking about but still you would go okay well maybe let's think about a different action plan in terms of what this is going to look like and yeah jesus seems to be like, no this this is what we're going to do where you'd go like well the evidence says jesus we need to kind of have a second uh, we have need to have a second a plan b if you will
1: you're yeah you're exactly right i i don't i hadn't even thought about that uh, it, it, the other thing is, in the same way that the disciples don't know what he can do before he does it, I'm asking myself, does Jesus know what he can do before he does it? You know, it, it goes back to our study of Elijah, that thought of when he said fire was going to come down, clearly he had faith. But had he been on his own calling fire down to, you know, build his confidence and this work in front of a crowd, like there's hardly anything we do in front of a big group of people that we don't do a million times alone to make sure it'll go right. That's true. And so he you're exactly right. He he has the exact same approach. He goes to the place and he can't even get to the healing in his hometown because the questions start immediately and then the anger and you know this kind of thing. So he's now like I would assume he's saying, Well, I would have done this. (laughs) <laughs> you know, at my hometown, but they didn't even let me get to the part where I'm healing people and this kind of thing. So that that is fascinating and the amount of faith
0: it would take. Yeah. And that that makes me even think of another like corollary in terms of like how we think of ourselves as church people is how often do we stand in the way of healing or stand in the way of progress or stand in the way of God making a move uh, in our midst because we get so um we get so scandalized by something we get so um, bogged down in the minute details or we get so um, we get so affronted that God could do something in a different way than he did before. And yeah, I just, I love your point that Jesus' hometown missed out, could have possibly missed out on the healing that this town gets. And you go, man, do we do that now, whether it be personally or corporately in a, in, in a church gathering? Um, do we allow ourselves sometimes to get so uh, caught up or scandalized that we miss out?
1: Yeah, that's that's a complete reorienting of my perspective. And it's it speaks of what has been happening in my life, but also I think what continues to happen is My question would naturally have been, or at least I've trained to have that question, okay, Jesus just said these words. So if I'm back in his hometown or any place, including this place, Jesus said these words, is he right? Mm -hmm. That would have been my primary question because that's how I went to church. Is this right? Did they do that right? Did he say that right? Was I treated right? You know, that would be the main question. And Jesus, his mode is, that's not even a relevant question it's really odd mm-hmm. um it, it's and so I'm now I'm thinking what is the relevant question one way to articulate it is God what do you want to next how how do you want this to this go next you know mm-hmm. and that's a totally different way of living your life than saying is this right because is this right leaves control in
0: my hands that's good well and even part of it goes is the question is is what is right are we so both in both these settings, we get, we get initial amazement at the teachings that Jesus is bringing, um, and then we 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 don't we get more specific teaching obviously with his hometown. But I wonder, like, when we think about we're trying to evaluate whether something is right, um, is our prime evaluating tool words or is it fruit? And sometimes fruit comes from words. Sometimes that, like the like fruit can be the actual words that somebody says. But I think about like. You know, there are things that have been said to me or I've heard said that my initial gut reaction was like, I can come up with example A, B, and C for why that's incorrect or why that's not what the Bible's teaching or why that isn't 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 that. But then I noticed the fruit of that person or I noticed the fruit of the teaching that I had espoused. And it it caused me to then go look and go, oh, okay, maybe reevaluating scripture because I realized, oh, the fruit of the thing that I held, the doctrine I held to so strongly is leading to a lot of death and decay, and the fruit is rancid and terrible. And actually, when you begin, when I actually dive in deeper and it goes, oh, wait, you see, here's what I think the Bible is actually communicating. And then I see the fruit of people who, like, and so again, it's not a one to one comparison, but I, I do think for me, the question of is what is being said right? I think it's important to think about, like, does this jive with what, god god reveals in his word what Jesus says is true but I think the also important thing to go is like hey what what is the fruit what is this this person is making these claims what is the fruit of of the evidence of the truthfulness in their
1: life okay so this this may make it even worse like, you're gonna <laughs> you may have to clean this up even more i don't know but but it's this idea I have to remember that everything i believe about the bible is not the Bible it's my interpretation of the Bible mm-hmm. and i say that if you think well that's not right if you're hearing this thing that's not right I'm like Think about your 10-year-ago self, you know? did they? Do you believe some things now that you didn't believe then? Has the Bible changed? Were you reading the same book? I mean, if you've ever been reading a verse and said, I never saw that before, that's acknowledging that the Bible didn't change, your interpretation changed as you know God better and mm-hmm. as God teaches you more. So if that's the case, I can't say, well, my interpretation 10 years ago was not good. I mm-hmm. wanted to know the right things then, yeah. and I was understanding it to the best of my ability, and now I know new things and hopefully better things are, and more refined things. Yeah, you give dignity
0: to the 10-year-old version of yourself. That's exactly
1: right. I'm not standing in judgment of my yesterday self. I'm simply saying, man, God, give me this. So the the And I want that to be really clear. It's not that we're saying, oh, right doesn't matter. No, we're saying right. The, the way that Jesus is demanding his apostles to follow him, and they're not called apostles yet, <laughs> you know, but the way he's saying he said i want you to trust me more than you trust your own interpretation. Yeah. The the truth of the matter is when he was speaking and i hate to dip back into the last episode so much but but it is true. The people were standing around and it's reason, keep in mind we see him as Jesus and a god. He's still this guy they knew. All they know is he taught something amazing. The way he taught there was something distinct from the way the other rabbis taught. It's a very reasonable question to say, "Hey, we know your dad. Like like you're you're saying stuff that says you know, it just doesn't jive. Like, we know your family. You're from here. And for Jesus to immediately go and say, Yeah, God, you guys have always had trouble accepting the truth, unlike these other people who wow. they thought were evil. So I mean, if 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 somebody were come and teach today and they're like, Look, I am from God, and you're like, I know your parents. Calm down, <laughs> you know? And then he and then he immediately answered with, Well, God's always loved the Catholics more than He's loved you Church of Christ people. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. or God has always loved the the Muslims more. I mean, yeah. it's it's hard to imagine what would be the equal offense because to tell a Jew that the Gentiles were receiving more of God's favor, I'm going to go ahead and submit to you, that's more offensive mm-hmm. than to say, well, the Muslims have been receiving more of God's favor than you have, Christians, you know? And if, if God in flesh comes and says that to me, is it right? It's not going to get that done because mm-hmm. I'm judging from my knowledge base. Yeah, but if I tell myself no, I'm judging from
0: quote the truth, that assumes I know the fullness of God. I mean, it's such a arrogant statement. Well, and it also it assumes that not only do I fully understand and comprehend the majesty of of God and His plan, it's saying I understand it in this moment, which is a radical thing to say. It also means it it, it precludes the ability for growth in the future. It precludes the ability, like, from saying like I could possibly. Um, God could possibly show me new things or or more things or better things, um, and that God's will for me is to have his plan completely revealed to me in this single moment right now, when you go, God has never worked like that in, like, a single moment of Scripture. That's never how he's been, and yet we have the arrogance to go, okay, but we're here now, so, like, we've we've completely got it. Yeah,
1: it's like, that. that is it. And, you know, to the person that, that struggles with, well, this is devaluing Scripture— on the contrary this is what scripture is teaching us mm-hmm. Jesus expected the people his disciples the pharisees whoever to have a big enough space to say uh we've thought this was true for all these years and now you're saying it's not true and we're supposed to believe you over our interpretation of these scriptures yeah the bible is teaching us that and this is the irony as we say I reject that teaching, which is what Jesus taught over and over and over again. He is deconstructing all of their faith.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Every, every single interaction is a deconstruction of their faith, and we judge them yeah. for not accepting all this new teaching while we simultaneously reject anything well, new.
0: And, it gets, and we'll, we'll transition here, but it gets back to the thing we always bring up about Peter, where Peter was a racist far into his life, far into his Christian walk, far into following God and having the Holy Spirit dwell inside of him, and you go... Okay, like that. There, like that reality. That that Peter, when Jesus died on the cross, and suddenly Peter is at the head of one of, of this massive new movement. Um, he still has grave character flaws. He completely misses out and completely doesn't see it. And you go, okay, we can we can make a personal judgment about Peter in that moment if we really want to. I'd be careful about casting stones. We could also say. Okay, there's something incredibly powerful to know that Jesus not only knew these character flaws of his disciples, not only knew that they didn't fully understand the plan or the or the breadth of all that he was doing. Um, it was an like it was an active choice. It wasn't something that Jesus stumbled upon. He didn't actively give him every step that they were going to go on for the rest of their lives. This was a part of what Jesus was was doing in their midst, um, and it was a it was a feature, not a bug.
1: That's uh, perfect. I mean, that—that's just perfectly stated. So, yeah. So, what amazes you? I could give you twenty more minutes, but I will shift. Uh, What amazes me is (laughs) Jesus' confidence. I mean, this goes back to the point, but that idea where. He doesn't stumble at all. This this demon obsessed man. I, so I'm putting myself. I, I I don't know if you know this, but I have I have several life mantras that I didn't mean to have, but I recognize I have. One is please don't don't embarrass me. Please don't embarrass me in public. You know. So I'm just imagining you just teach, and everybody's like this is going well. This is going well, and maybe even like the apostles are looking around. Hey, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it didn't go well there, but now it's going well. And then all of a sudden, a man jumps up and is like, "Go away!" And he calls you. God. Yeah. The correct response from Jesus was, well, I'm not God. Based, based on that culture, that's blasphemy, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's one thing for the demon-possessed man to to do that. But Jesus doesn't answer that. Mm. He's acknowledging. he He's not correcting him. That, that's the point. And he's not thrown. That, to me, I, I was thinking about Deion Sanders, you know, the coach oh, yeah. of the Colorado Buffaloes, and how, you know, they, they got destroyed this last weekend, you know, after they won a couple unexpected games. And I, I really appreciate this aspect of him in like saying, yeah, I'm not going to pay attention to my detractors. And you can perceive that as arrogance and there's part of it maybe. And I'm not saying Dion is Jesus. I want to be clear. <laughs> but it, but as I watch that, I'm like, huh, I really struggle with that. Mm. I, really, I don't know if Dion's doing the right thing or the wrong thing. I don't, I don't know anything about that. I'm simply saying I really struggle with feeling convicted. I'm doing the right thing. And detractors, even in mild form, kind of trying mm. to put the brakes on it. And I want to listen to the dissenting voice. But it's fascinating here for Jesus to be so confident. Number one, that he knows, and mm-hmm. maybe he's been healing demons on the side for a long time, and it just hadn't been recorded. But he knows I can say this, and it's enough, you know. Which that raises a whole different question: of How did he know beforehand what he could and could not do, you know? Yeah. But but that is enough, and then to just keep moving, like it's it's you know, the demon threw the man down before them, and all came out, and all the people were amazed, and and they're all speaking, and I'm like. It also amazed me a little bit. Jesus doesn't make this a new talking point.
0: Yeah. You know? So it, I think the thing that jumped out to me when you were talking was where does the confidence of Jesus come from? And I think you could easily be like, well, it comes from the fact that he's God and that he has direct connection with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And I think you'd be correct in that assessment. But I also go like, if Jesus was fully human, then where, where did the, where, when he was feeling the actual feel, like in his brain, when he was feeling confidence, like where did that come? It, where did that come from? Because... When I feel confident about something, it's when I've had prior success in it. Like very rarely do I ever attempt a new task or go about doing something um, for a second time and feel really good about it when I failed the previous time. Like that just doesn't that doesn't happen for me. If I have not tried something before, I feel no confidence about it whatsoever. It takes a couple times of being successful, and so you go, okay. The only way that Jesus can feel that is if he is fully. Tapped into what God is doing and, and and he is even fully tapped into what um what you should feel confident in about interactions. And maybe that's the thing that's really striking me is one that Jesus Jesus in, in his fully God and fully human self um is able to so fully tap into the Father and the Holy Spirit that he is confident. But then I also go, is his confidence in something more, is, is his confidence not only in the Father, but is his confidence um in it is. It gets to what we always talk about. Is his confidence for success different than what our confidence would be? Because like, if I have confidence that something is going to be successful, I have a very clear picture in my mind of what success looks like. And I go, okay, if I'm starting this movement where I'm the Messiah, I have a clear idea of what success – I have confidence for what success will look like in my hometown. And you go, maybe Jesus felt confident because – for what his vision was, what his paradigm for viewing the world was, is he did just he did just have a successful um moment or interaction in his hometown. Whereas I would be like, oh, that was a complete and utter failure.
1: Yeah. I that's really fascinating. Yeah, the the thing that the the situation, I'm not talking about the person, the situation that Jesus is in is different from the situation Deion Sanders is in. I'm just <laughs> I'm just gonna bring this up again. Uh, is that at the end of the day, eventually, like he can say what's well, a rebuilding year for his football team and everything, but eventually he's going to be judged by how many wins and losses he has based on somebody else's definition. Mm-hmm. And how much of that is true of my life? Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, so my job as a minister, how many people were there? How much money do they give? How many, whatever baptism we have, whatever the sure. metric is that, that we tend to elevate because of humanity. Whereas Jesus, he's so committed to the fact that God's voice defines success. Mm. Well
0: you mean God's voice and people's response? Nope. God's and voice, that yeah. to me is so hard. That's good. And I I think about it. I might take this part. I think about it. So taking it even to a, to a different college football coach. Um you you look at Nick Saban and the Alabama football program. For those who don't know, uh Nick Saban, the best football college football coach in the history of the program in the past 15 years they've won about everything you could possibly win i don't like him and i agree yeah no he's i mean i'm obviously not an alabama football fan but he it's just outrageous success people forget that before nick saban came alabama had a very storied program but for a good portion of time before like 2000 2006, they had a really bad decade and a half. They were not successful for a really long time. They got beat down by a lot of different people. Um, And Nick Saban came and brought them just this otherworldly success, more success in the past decade and a half than any other program has ever had really in history. And yet you have one kind of slightly downish year where they might not be the best in the world. And you have Alabama fans who's whose uh perception of what success was 15 years ago has so radically shifted that for them that they don't have a guaranteed national championship this year there are some people who are like well I just maybe he can't get it done anymore maybe he's not that good of a coach anymore and you go are you kidding me like if you would if you had gone If you came to me as an OU fan and said, hey, for the next 15 years, you will win like six national championships. But for the next 30 years after that, you will be have losing seasons. like, done. Take the deal right now. It's fantastic. (laughs) But for what success was for for these people, so been radically shifted by the amazing success they've had. You go, you have you have these people going, well, I mean, was it really, you know, where are we really going now? It's all going downhill, which is like from the outside seems absurd, but we do that all the time we do yeah and i think
1: and that's the question i would say to apply to myself what's the metric i'm trying to live up to Mm -hmm. like and and until i think about it i would say i have no metric i'm just living my life but the fact that i get disappointed
0: by stuff shows i have a metric Mm -hmm. because i expected better you know yeah that's good and and is the metric is the metric that i view my life the same metric that i judge other people's life by you know absolutely true i think that i think it's really convicting so what what perplexes you the perplexion
1: I have is the words of the the demon through this man. Uh, it's just that idea of what does the demon world know? It it, it fascinates me that this man could not know this. There's mm-hmm. no way he could know this at this point. Um, it's the demon that the, so this knowledge comes from the demon's perspective, and I I don't know. I just find that the whole thing perplexing. Of of yeah, just <laughs> just being. In this space to hear these words, and you had said it way early on about the, this can kind of become white noise to us. Yeah, yeah, demon possession, da 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 But then when we really step into the scenario, it's like, oh, my goodness, all of this would be overwhelming. But that part, and then even Jesus' own heart about it, this demon, this just popped from my head, this demon is saying out loud what Jesus wanted when the devil tempted him mm-hmm. for the whole world to kneel and, and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. So fascinatingly though, I'm not, I'm not saying the demon wanted to be a disciple, Yeah, but I am saying he's acknowledging his identity. This is the fabric of the temptation. You know, even the temptation mm. about the bread, it's prefaced by saying, if you are the son of God, now here you have this demon saying, you are the son of God, you know, mm. which I think is, is comical and fascinating, but really perplexing on the, the demon like are they talking? Do they have you know do they have internet? <laughs> you know, he's looking up Jesus of Nazareth. Oh no, he's coming. You know what oh, I mean? Man. And he's scared. He's he's clearly scared. He's like, get away from me. Not like, ha ha, ha I'm gonna fight you. Yeah. But he's like, I'm already depowered, get away from me.
0: Man. Yeah, no, it is it is it is utterly bizarre. It is utterly bizarre to me. And I and I think for me, you know, I, I've I've done some research in terms of like what different theologians will say about these passages and other passages of demon possession, and I've come to I've come to gain some like some knowledge and some helpful context and and feel a little bit better about them. But I I also feel like there's just a part of it where you go, man, I don't know, like I will never know what like w- like I will never know how the demons knew this about Jesus. I will never know the what the what the if you want to use the word lifespan of this demon look like it, and has this you know what I will not know it. <laughs> I will not know this side this side of heaven, any of that information. Um, and you go, okay, what, what? if I can't know that, like, and there's this thing in the Bible that, you know, that that's a pretty big deal, right? Like, it's a pretty important thing. If I can't know that, unless by divine intervention, God telling me, what is, what is, why are these, why are there these things in Scripture that Jesus deals with, that God, like, that God clearly wants us to know, and yet God is like, but I'm not going to give you any way to fully know or fully understand or fully comprehend. Like, what is it? What, what is it? Why, why put this in here? Like, why is this a thing? Why isn't there a section in the old Testament more about demonology? Why isn't there more, you know, why can't we know? Um, And I can come up with some reasons, but I I am left in the place of like, okay, there's something, there's something to be said about, about, um, about the mystery here and what we do with mystery.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that, if, if I come to you and I'm like, hey, I want you to change your life dramatically, obviously, you know, beyond the, you know, who am I to ask you to do anything questions, but it's like, okay, tell me about this life and tell me where this goes and how it affects what about this, what about that. Jesus seems to feel no compulsion to describe <laughs> this either to the disciples or to us. I mean, we, we know things and we know a lot of things, but there's a ton we don't know, including this subject of when Paul writes that our enemy isn't us, that's a shocker because mm-hmm. I only thought my enemy was us. <laughs> and then he's like, no, your real enemy is the spirit world. I'm like, well, okay, well, then tell me about it. Like, I at least need a book called Here's the Spirit World, mm-hmm. you know, because then I'm left with, well, is Harry Potter the spirit world? Is, you know what I mean? Is, is Ouija board the spirit world? Like, like what are we talking about here? And I'm, I'm being facetious a little bit there, but the truth of the matter is we don't know hardly anything You know, except that God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, the righteous Bible believe there was a devil. There was this enemy. There's this big spirit world that is really, I mean, Ephesians 3.10 says the spirit world is being taught by us about the manifold wisdom of God. I'm like, what? You know, I mean, that's just bizarro. And yet... God gives us such little detail. Well, then, how do I teach the spirit world better? You know, it's like, well, trust God. Mm-hmm. And
0: I'm like, yeah, I get that. But I mean, really, what do I do? And he's like, I already told you. Yeah, and and that's yeah, challenging. You know, I wonder for me if it. The reason I feel that way is because my assumption is I and make this gets back to the other part of our conversation. My assumption is that i have that i i've mastered other parts of of understanding like i have you know I, I don't okay i don't know a whole lot about demons and spirits as much as i would like and that's just really frustrating because it doesn't seem like there's the, as many answers in the bible as there should be but then i i wonder if i only feel that way because i've assumed all these other areas that i've i've plumbed the depths of it and i do wonder would god be like yeah but connor there's all these things that you feel like you've mastered or you feel like you've come really close on you still have so many miles to, to dig into to unearth um and you go you got hung up on this because like Because you're always like there's always going to be you got hung up on this when the reality is I wanted you to be hung up on all these other things and realize that there was still so much more that you couldn't possibly get.
1: I I think that's gold. I felt it felt very Jobian. Um, like I'm the guy going, well, God, what about this one thing? And you're like, Hey, and I don't think God's mad at Job, uh, just to be clear, we are not doing a study on Job. Uh, I think God's saying exactly what you just said. He's mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. There's so much you don't know. Uh-huh. You know, why, why are you getting occupied about this? You know enough. Uh, and you know, and I think that is, that is the
0: answer for me in, in that way. What about you? What perplexes you? Yeah, so I think simply, and it wasn't what perplexed me before, but your point at the very beginning of this really stuck out to me about um, about the fact that, or maybe it was my point or your point, I don't know, the fact that uh, that Nazareth missed out on this healing. And you go, man, how long did this man suffer? And how many spirits are out there? And, and again, this, this gets to maybe a general problem of evil and suffering and pain and illness. But I just go, wow, like the way this town reacted to Jesus – um, could have condemned this man to a further life of the suffering, and the way they did act saved him in a way. And you can you wow. could you know you could say oh maybe Jesus was going to do it no matter what or maybe if they reacted badly on the way out he would do this. But the way we have it here now, we get this direct knowledge of Jesus healing and Jesus is casting out a demon, and you go okay, that responsibility, that the way I act and the way I live can save or condemn and can heal or not heal um is so pre- that responsibility is so preposterously i don't know if misplaced feels like it, it, it yeah. just it feels like man that's too much responsibility god that's too much to put on not even just me as a person but that's too much to put on this community it's too much to put on whatever um that an individual's life could be so... And again, you, well, of course, Connor, because you see that, that that's the case with so many different people, not just with Demon Possessed, but that's with the case with so many different people that we... Maybe the answer is we have so much more responsibility to so many other people that we pretend like we don't have. I, I don't know. But you just go, but why did you set it up that way, God? That's so... The the responsibility is so astounding and so preposterous that I am just left... I'm left a little overwhelmed. I, I
1: feel that. I feel that. Yeah. It, so if you flip it, it's like, okay, who... I think it's ridiculous to assume there weren't sick people or demon possessed people in Nazareth, you know, where, where he got rejected. And I just want to make sure these, this is clear. So maybe I'm connecting dots that don't need to be connected, but this is clear that the basic setup of both these situations are the same. He comes in, he teaches synagogue. They hone in on what he taught at Nazareth. They don't tell us what he taught here. Um, And the assumption is because they make such a big deal of this is hometown that these people don't know his history. Mm -hmm. So who's to say he didn't do the exact same verses, you know, kind of thing. And they don't have that response. But yeah, I mean, I mean, basically the the proposition is, is the thing I'm doing now, the way I'm responding on now, keeping somebody, let's make it super personal. Is there somebody physically hurting that's listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. that I am either helping God's healing get to them? Or standing in the way of God's healing, get to them based on am I really trusting God with this? You know, because the problem that the, the the rejection wasn't the problem. The problem was the people's hearts towards God back in Nazareth. You know, they could have easily processed this question: Hey, Jesus, can you help us understand? Because obviously, we've known you for a long time. Tell mm-hmm. us more about this. But instead, they immediately moved against him to kind of shut to shut him down. I know yeah. we're amazed, but we know this guy. Like yeah. this is, and I think I do the same thing when I'm like, Hey, but I know God. You know, or or back to what your previous comment was about about. Well, I know these. I may not know this, but I know this, and I'm like that. That really does crank up the responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I start to entertain the thought, and it, it still it still fits. And the answer here isn't to figure it out. The answer is to trust God. But I think mm-hmm. once I there, there's a part of me that entertains the thought. I can know this material well enough. I'm not suggesting that I'm thinking I don't need God. But how many times have you been in life, and you're like, "What can I pray about for you?" I don't need anything. What you're functionally saying is, "I got this." Yeah. You know, and and I'm just like, the truth is, when somebody asks me what what I can what they can pray about, I really have a bazillion things to tell them all the time, and it's not important whether I tell them that, but I better be acknowledging I'm in desperate need of of God's intervention every second of every day, or I run into this aspect
0: of, am am I somehow shutting down something that God may want to do in my presence? That's so good. Yeah. And I think I think for myself, what I'm taking away from this is I just need to recognize that um, sometimes my assumption of my own brilliance or my own sufficiency um, not just limits what I can do in connecting with God, but also limits other people I know. Um, and so I need to be, you know, I, I feel very comfortable saying concretely that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died and rose again and that I am made right with God. But Man, so much of the other stuff that I that we I hold up as I've got this firm full, and I, again, I don't even think I have a full grasp of what 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 those statements I just made. I don't have a full grasp of all that means for everybody, and even probably for myself. But I go, okay, when I make when I make statements, or when I um, am talking to people, um, and they're talking about their spiritual life, or they're talking about their spiritual thing, so often my initial um, desire. And again, I, I'm good at the. I'm better at this, so I don't. I don't do it. My initial desire is always to jump in, is always to make sure, to always clarify, to always bring up a distinction, to always, um, even, even if subconsciously, bring somebody to a point of having to make a make a decision or make a distinction. Um, and I go, man, um, I operate so often when I talk about God from a place of not being sure in God, but being sure in my knowledge of God. And I need to move into a space of being sure of God and less sure about um, my fully abil- full ability to comprehend all of his plans. Uh, yeah, I, as with almost every study, this certainly
1: ended up different than where I started. I, I thought we're going to have a very interesting conversation about this demon-obsessed man <laughs> and, and Jesus' confidence, which we did. But really, it does come down to... A, which I I love this, is that I'm I'm in that crowd all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and I get I my choice matters. It doesn't control things. I'm I'm not big enough to defeat God's plan for a person. I do get to choose how much I'll participate in that plan. And that is that is sobering, humbling and and also exciting as long as I say this is not me doubling down on my energy. This is me choosing to trust more if anything.
0: That's good. Grace, peace and love.